0: I should. I'm
1: all good. I'm on good. Never knew I could. I'm on good. I'm on good. Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own Phoenix tale or your own Phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another Phoenix. Today's guest is Laura Hill, a former executive at Viacom and now freelance producer. Laura recounts how her decision to end a long marriage opened the door for her to confront the painful parts of her childhood. Doing the hard work of facing her past also created an opportunity to reconnect to her joyful six-year-old self. Please welcome Laura Hill. Welcome, Laura, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? The
0: pandemic has been a big pivot point for me because that was when I decided to leave my husband. How long had you been married? Oh my gosh, I'd have to do the (laughs) math. I met him when I was 19 and we got married just about four years after that. I was pretty young when we got married. He's
1: 10 years older than me. I have known him in every adult decade of my life. I think about this because my husband and I met when we were 26. And I think about the fact that My entire adulthood or coming into adulthood was shaped and formed with him by my side. So when I think back to how do I extrapolate that part of my history from him if we were to divorce, what has that process been like for you?
0: You know, the fun part is I kind of get to relive the experience of being in my early 20s with the knowledge of being in my 50s which is exciting and terrifying at the same time, because I know that at 50-something, there are a lot of stupid mistakes I'm not going to make. At 50-something, I have a little bit more restraint because I met Doug when I was so young and I had had two serious boyfriends prior to him, but I've never really been a single person before. And I've been single for the last year and it's, it's was terrifying to some degree, but it's
1: really been okay. So let's go back to being 19 and meeting Doug, who is 29, if he's 10 years older, right? Yeah. And the maturity difference of someone who's 29 and someone who's 19 is pretty immense. And I'm assuming that you were a very mature 19-year-old, but even with that maturity, I mean, just in terms of life experience and life lived, it's a lot of difference. So how was it that you found yourself dating someone so much older? We did meet in a work situation. He was the manager. Then
0: after he left, we started seeing each other. Because of some of the life experiences that I had as a child, that I never really fit in with my peers. I can remember going off to college and living in a dorm and feeling like I didn't fit in with
1: my peers. I had grown up more quickly at a younger age. And was there a reason why you grew up so quickly and not follow the usual trajectory of like, you know, being a teenager and getting yeah at someone's house? Yes.
0: When I was very young, my two older siblings, absorbed a lot of the attention in the household. My brother had a mental illness, which started pre-manifesting not too long after I was born and kicked in full throttle when I was about seven or eight years old. My sister was the star of the family and hold a lot of my parents' focus for positive reasons. And then I was just kind of like this kid who came along five years after my sister, and I was neither the black sheep nor was I the star. I was also exposed to a lot of things that were happening with my brother at a very early age. My parents didn't really shield me from any of that, so I I saw and heard and experienced a lot of things that your normal eight-year-old probably shouldn't be exposed to. And then when my parents split up, my mother and father both knew that I was pretty independent and could really kind of for myself.
1: And so I did spend a lot of time alone as a fairly young child. So just so the audience knows, your brother's mental illness was something like bipolar or was it something more serious than that?
0: He was schizophrenic. And at one point in time, he had a dual diagnosis of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but his schizophrenia manifested pretty early on. So I think he was first officially diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was 16,
1: and I was um, seven or eight at the time. Wow. So having grown up kind of uh, very independent, I know that for a lot of people who, who do that, you did that almost in a physical sense, but also emotionally, there is this incredible sense of having raised yourself, having raised yourself emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and I guess, and in your case, physically. So Is that kind of the thread that enabled you to have a relationship with someone who was 10 years older? I think
0: that was part of it, uh, but I think it was mostly that I didn't feel connected to people my own age because I always felt like I was just on a completely different wavelength where there were concerns and things that they were going through that just seemed trivial to some of the things that I was dealing with. And I also. You know growing up in the the 70s and the 80s you didn't talk about having a mentally ill sibling and so I very rarely had friends over to the house it was just kind of this secret that you kept and you didn't talk about it I had friends I but I there
1: was always kind of this shell that I had on like a shield so I guess finding Doug and connecting with him did you feel a sense of ah uh, here's my one person that I can really let in and know the entirety of my life.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was definitely safe in that way. He also, you know, came from a much more stable and traditional upbringing. And in a way that was kind of the rock I was clinging to. There was a mutual attraction between us. You know, we obviously had a a physical attraction and He was someone who I could eventually open up to and and kind of give him the backstory, and he never judged me
1: on that. He couldn't relate to it, but he didn't judge me either. So going to this point in time now, like I find it so interesting. It's almost as as what you said. You're reclaiming a part of your growing up that you hadn't experienced, but with the wisdom of you know having been on this planet for more than fifty years. In that process, have you also been able to kind of process for yourself the impact or the ways in which your upbringing has really shaped you? Absolutely.
0: Some of the best advice that I got when I was thinking about ending a a long marriage is something that No one takes that lightly. And it's something you certainly think about before you pull the trigger on it. But the best advice that I got from a number of my friends who had gone through divorces was get a therapist. I was recommended to a therapist through a good friend of mine, and she and I really have clicked. I've never met her in person, of course, because of the pandemic. I've only seen her on Zoom. But she has really done a good job with me in terms of digging deep and kind of finally overturning some of these rocks that I have not wanted to look under. And I'm not blaming Doug, but I think part of the reason why I was never able to really fully process some of this stuff is because I was in that
1: marriage. Mm. It was always as though he shielded you from that, right?
0: Yeah, it was like I didn't have to deal with it with him. And in ending that marriage, I've just kind of had to sort through everything, not just the marriage, not just deal with some of the stuff that I just kind of push to the bottom for too long.
1: And as these rocks, as you, I love the metaphor, um, as you turn these rocks over and you see what's underneath, are you starting to make the connection of, ah, what's underneath here might have prevented me from taking that risk? Or maybe what's underneath here enabled me to take a risk, right? Because like you had nothing to lose. So are you finding those discoveries for yourself and, and kind of correlating them, not just to the end of your marriage and the and the marriage itself, but just like to all of your life decisions, let's say?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of that. And I think, you know, sorry, I'm just thinking about that a little bit. I credit my therapist a lot with the work that i've done she's really helped me not just face some of these things that i've pushed away for so long not only face them but also how to properly process them there are things that happened and things that didn't happen that i'm aware of it's not like i'm i'm uncovering a repressed memory or anything like that there's nothing there that i don't that i didn't already know She's just been particularly effective in helping me really process these emotions, really allowing myself to grieve some things that happened and cry some of it out. But also even more recently is just to experience some of the joy that I'm feeling now. One of the things that I've been working on really over the last couple of weeks is just experiencing joy and really feeling that joy deeply and remapping that feeling because I'm reaching a point where I've processed a lot of the garbage. I've cried through a lot of garbage. I've been angry at some stuff. And the last couple of weeks, really like the last three or four weeks, I've really been experiencing some some really deep joy that I haven't felt in so long. And just remapping that and rewiring those synapses to be able to feel it and not feel like, oh, I'm happy. There must be a trapdoor.
1: I love the way you phrased it, remapping your joy. So where has that map taken you to? Like what stops along the way or was there a final destination?
0: Well, I'm hoping
1: with joy, there's not a final destination. I'm hoping it's, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> the way I viewed it was that you're remapping the joy back to your childhood, right? Back to your past. Yeah. And that's what I mean by final destination somewhere in the past. No, not your final destination in the future. So have you been able to remap some aspect or place from whence the joy emanates or, you know, springs? I have always said, I feel like you are your purest self when you're six years old. I feel like at
0: the age of six, your personality is pretty solidly formed. It also, your soul hasn't been completely crushed by life experiences yet. And when I think back to when I was six, I was really into animals and I was really into dollhouses. And for animals, it was live animals, stuffed animals, animal figurines, animal drawings, dollhouse that I decorated and would work on and build little things for it. And people that lived in my dollhouse were a couple and a maid. And they had animals. And I, you know, as you know, I chose not to have children. And right. I was going really think- there's
1: no child in there. <laughs>
0: there were no children living in that house. It was a couple, a maid <laughs> and a bunch of animals. <laughs> so when I look at my school picture when I was six years old, I'm this beaming little toehead. And you look at my school picture the next year, and that was the year when everything started to fall apart with my brother. And there was a lot of drama going on at home because of him and everything that was happening there. And if you look at my school picture for age six, my school picture, age seven, you can see like that hundred yard stare in the seven-year-old and you can see the shutdown is beginning to happen. And I don't know if anybody who didn't know me who looked at those two pictures would see it. Oh, well, you weren't having the best day when you were seven, but (laughs) When I look at that picture of me as a seven-year-old, like my heart hurts because I know where she was. And so one of the things that my therapist done is I have a picture of of that little happy six-year-old printed out. It's been reconnecting with her, with six-year-old me and kind of like going back and
1: bringing that happy little six-year-old back to life. Oh, that's beautiful. And if you could like do you talk to the 6 year old or actually do you talk to the 7 year old i don't talk to the 7 year old so much ironically
0: what what i do tell the 6 year old is that it's going to be okay we're going to come out okay and i'm not going to let anything happen to her and we're going to be okay
1: and so when you say that you're now at the process like you've gone through the grief you've gone through the sadness you've gone through the anger obviously right yeah and now you're trying to Find the joy and remapping that process, and as you were experiencing these emotions, um did you have moments where you, you could have a hard conversation with you know anybody in your family about your experience and the impact that that this had had on you you know my
0: my father passed away about twelve years ago, so you know obviously no conversations with him and my My mother lives in New Zealand, so I have had some conversations with her about it, you know, and there was there were some things that happened to me as a child that she didn't know about. And so I did talk to her a few months ago about some of the things that had happened. And she was, you know, obviously saddened by it and hurt by it and apologetic. She wished she had known and all that kind of stuff. Didn't want to really, really pound her with that because, you know, she's 80 something and you know, and I don't blame her. There's no blame there. It has part of the healing process has been talking to her about it. And I've had some conversations with my stepmother about it as well. And it's just a statement of fact. There's no going backwards. There's no one doing what happened They're They're just it just happened. And
1: now I, I also understand why I didn't say anything. There's no going backwards. I would imagine that. The realization there's no going backwards can be incredibly like gut wrenching, but also incredibly freeing. So do you have you experienced both? I have. I have. But in terms of finding the freedom in that, has that been incredibly liberating and given you a different set of, I don't know, different kind of courage? You know,
0: being able to process some of this stuff and feel like I'm really processing it finally, it's like, I finally reached a point where I can just like put these bags down and walk away. And it has been liberating. And it's for all of Doug's wonderful qualities. And again, I'm not blaming him. He didn't have the toolkit emotionally to deal with some of the emotions that I needed to process in order to get beyond this stuff. Like I said, he grew up in a fairly traditional, stable, loving household. And so to have a wife who's all of a sudden, you know, stressed out, crying, screaming, whatever, he had a hard time dealing with that end of my emotional range. And so I think that was why I never dealt with a lot of this stuff. And being able to deal with it now and not have having to worry about his reaction or not just dealing with my own stuff that I'm processing from the past, but also simultaneously having to deal with a husband who doesn't know how to deal with this Wife who's being emotional, that takes a lot of the load off because I I can just focus on what I'm dealing with from the past and put it to bed and not have to worry about anybody else's reaction to what
1: I'm going through. And I love that the image of you leaving the suitcases and finally being able to walk away. But in this process, have you found anything that was worth pulling out of the suitcase to take with you on some level?
0: What I found was six year old me you know, she's still there. I feel like she was just kind of like put into a little box and shoved away. And I feel like because there were a lot of things that I was dealing with at a young age that my peers weren't, that kind of like stunted some of that pure childhood joy that I might have had otherwise. And to be able to you know, reconnect with six-year-old me and also kind of be 20-year-old me <laughs> at the same time that I'm 50-something me is it's this weird kind of mix. But to be able to like reconnect with that pure, pure, pure joy of a six-year-old, like I said, like somebody who hasn't been crushed by the world yet versus because, you know, by the time you're in your 20s, you've been crushed quite a few times. Well, You've had some real world you know, problems to deal with. But just to really tap into some of that pure joy again and allow
1: myself to feel it without feeling like the
0: floor was going to fall out on me.
1: I guess what you're saying is, you know, in in your life, you'd always had that, oh, I'm too happy. Therefore, a truck must be coming (laughs) headed towards me, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that because my early childhood home was tumultuous because My parents had to deal with my brother and then my parents split up when I was 11 or 12. And I lived with my mother for a time and she started traveling as she was re-entering the dating world. And um, I was bouncing between my, my father and my mother. I didn't really have a deep relationship with my father. He and I didn't even really know each other that well when my parents split up. And all of a sudden I'm spending, you know, every weekend with this father that I I don't really know. And, you know, lucky for me, he met and married the woman who became my stepmother, and she had five children of her own. And so I just kind of like fell into the fold with her kids. And also to her credit, she treated me no differently than she treated her own daughters. It's like I just
1: became her sixth child. You made a reference uh, sort of uh, very quickly the fact that you didn't have children. Yes. Was some of that decision informed by your own childhood?
0: You know, I don't know if the decision to be child-free was formed by that or not. I think at six years old, there was a part of me that knew that I didn't want to have children. When Doug and I got married, I figured I would grow to want them eventually. I said to him, I do not want to have children. I don't want to do it. And he was like, you know, I don't really want to have kids either. I don't know that my upbringing, it certainly reinforced it, but I kind of feel like I was never wired to be a mother. I've never, ever, ever regretted being childless.
1: I think that um, that is a taboo in our culture for women to express that. But I know I have a number of friends, including you, who decided to be childless, child free, child free (laughs) and made that and making that choice. And I can say that, you know, motherhood was not a calling for me either. And had Jay not pressed the issue, we probably would not have had a child. And I'm hoping that societally that people are not looking at women who make that decision as if they're growing horns from the top of their head, but just like, oh, that's a choice that that they feel. And so therefore, we shouldn't judge that decision.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, when I was at the point making that decision and also when I was still in my childbearing years, because let's face it, I'm out of them now, it's kind of implied by some people that's like, oh, you're selfish. Oh, you're doing this for selfish reasons. Like only selfish women don't have
1: children only like really high powered career women don't have children. Yeah. I think the reason that some people take quite a front to a decision like that is I think in the back of their minds or in the deep recesses of their heart, there is a fear that in a way it's a judgment about their decision, right? That It's almost a commentary like, well, I see how well your life turned out with those kids. And so therefore, I know I'm not having any children, right? (laughs) I never thought of it that way. (laughs) Well, that's the way I always viewed it. Like a lot of it had to do with their own issues about whatever is going on, right? I mean, no family is perfect and no child is perfect. And so therefore, it's almost like a statement or, or judgment against them. But going back to how you started this conversation off and, and saying that COVID was sort of the, the impetus that propelled you to take this big step of ending this long marriage and a marriage in which you quite frankly grew up. Yeah. All of us were stuck together and I'm sure there are many divorces that have occurred because of it. But was there a particular moment where you just thought, oh yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely ready to do this. There wasn't really a single
0: moment for us. And, you know, and, and we're still friends to this day. And, and he will always be a friend to me. I will always love him. You know, we come into the pandemic and I think for me, it was just more a realization of like the whole world was turned on its head and we had to throw out everything we knew as normal. The whole planet was going through this. For me, it was just kind of like, well, what do I really want out of my life? What do I want to change in my life when we're looking at everything and there is no normal in this moment? So I think it was just more kind of a metaf- more metamorphosis of looking at my life as more of a big picture. And it's like, okay, I'm in my 50s looking at the back nine of this golf course. What do I want to do? You know, and it just... Really made me think about living a more conscious life and not just plodding along, doing what I do, being in where I was, but really breaking away from Doug and just being me for once. It was also a time to be really contemplative. Because as a freelancer, I had no work. Doug and I own a summer place in Maine. And once May rolled around and I had no work in sight. So when I moved up to the Maine house and Doug obviously had to stay in New York for work, it also gave me more time to just be alone and just be me. And so it was, it was kind of a gradual separation in that way. It just gave me the time and the space to really reflect
1: on my life and where I, was and where I want to be. So you kept mentioning the fact that you got to know you. So this is a question that I've been thinking about as you said that. Did you even know who you were? I mean, because you had been with someone from such a young age and to get to know you, you really had to kind of extricate yourself from this person. But so much of your history and identity being formed is entwined with this person. So has that been a process of you coming to know you on your own terms as you kind of, you know, take apart the seams of what it held the two of you together?
0: Yes and no. One of the positive things about the relationship that Doug and I had is that a lot of my identity outside of the marriage is really tied to my work. I don't really feel like I discovered a new me or a part of me that I didn't know was there. I keep going back to that six-year-old, but the part of me that had been really kind of playing a minor character for so long was that really
1: kind of happy, joyful. So that six-year-old that you've remapped to, obviously she's taking more of a center stage, right? And not so much uh, a minor character in the back. Yeah. Do you envision or can you see how she's going to inform this next chapter of your life? I think she's going to let me have more fun than I've allowed myself to have in the past. And is that she's giving you permission to to have more fun or you're taking the power away from her even and saying I I should have more fun?
0: I think it's just been mapping to that part of me or or it's remapping that part of my brain that has always felt like things are going to too well. Something bad is going to happen. Having fun, but also like checking over your shoulder, reaching the point where I feel like I can have fun and just relax and not worry so much about what's going to happen or
1: worrying about the next thing and be more present in the moment And the last question I'm going to ask you is, is there a song that resonates with you or you feel as though was written for you or about your life? And what is the name of the song and why? The song that I will always, like, if it plays on my
0: Spotify, I will back it up and play it again is Independent Woman by Destiny's Child. Not because of the material aspect of that song, but the whole I depend on me.
1: Like that is, I love that song. Yeah, that's a great place to end. Thank you, Laura, for doing this. And I know the audience is going to be inspired by you um, in the sense of courage and and also insight and thoughtfulness that you've been approaching this next chapter of your life with. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt.
0: It's like a dream so let me never wake up I was so hung up on myself just like a stick in the mud A little time, a little patience When I got tired of waiting Then I found that gem
1: within me sticking out of the mud And they gon' ask me why I do it I'ma say this because We gon' be the best on earth just like we be out in rust Pass behind me like a book bag Hanging down a coat rack Focused on the future not that coulda, shoulda, would Feeling like I should If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.